welcome to the Logistics Tribe. I'm your host, Boris Felgender, and my guest today is Roman Zak. Roman is one of the founders of AimTech. AimTech helps companies on their digital transformation journeys. They combine a very deep consulting expertise in manufacturing and logistics with a unique approach to implementing software solutions. And what's fascinating about AimTech is that they have been around since 1996, a time when digital transformation wasn't even a thing yet. And today, the company is very highly regarded, particularly in the automotive sector. They're based in Pilsen in the Czech Republic, but they're operating globally. Roman and I talked about the various issues and challenges that his customers in the automotive sector are facing these days and how digital strategies and tools can help them. Quite an interesting discussion that you don't want to miss. Let's go. Hello, Roman. Welcome to the Logistics Tribe. Thanks for being on the program. Thank you for welcoming me. I'm really proud to be here. Yeah, me too. I'm very much looking forward to the conversation. You are the founder and co-founder of AimTech. And AimTech, I just realized, has been around for more than a quarter of a century, which is not typical, you know, if you consider how many technology companies come and go, how many startups try to make it and never never actually do. You've, you've been around the block a few times. The company was founded in 1996 at a time where the term digital transformation or digitization wasn't really a term, right? But this was a time when we barely started using, you know, email and the internet, 1996. It's, it's, it's quite early. Take me back a couple of moments to you know, the year 1996 when you and your, your buddy started uh, thinking about finding your own company and what AimTech has turned into since. Ah, it's uh, it's quite interesting story because uh, we, with my friend and co-owner Jaroslav Orbrecht, so we uh, have been working together for several several companies, and uh, and the last one was Deloitte in Prague, and uh, we were implementing the ERP systems, and uh, Jaroslav was involved in sales, I, I mean in delivery, and mm -hmm. uh, we just uh, found that we are not happy, and we would like to start our own business, so. We established a company which was very people-focused, so that's one of our key values that we take care of, about the of the people and uh, because we deliver services and, and uh, solutions to the customers. So yeah. we established Entic at the time, and it was primarily ERP implementator. Yeah, and, and those were the heydays of ERP, right? The ERP systems where this was sort of this, this central piece, and we get up to all of that, how that's evolved over time. but. So you were early on, I mean, 1996, and also, um, just it's not obvious, but I, I probably will mention it in the in the intro that I record after our conversation, is that you're based in the Czech Republic, right? And it's taking back 1996, you know, how common was it there to start a technology startup in the Czech Republic? Were you breaking ground? Was it back in the days already a, a, a thriving technology ecosystem, startup ecosystem? What was it like back in the days in '96? Actually, the ERP system was Bipix, and uh, American company. And uh, the reason why we also started the company is that the customers started to ask us for, especially automotive customers, start ask, asking us for that time it was called barcoding. So this means warehouse management systems, the real uh -huh. uh, handling unit management, and so on. And also they asked us to do EDI uh, mm -hmm, with uh, mm -hmm. the customers. And suppliers, so we started to add another additional solutions to the ERP package. And uh, the time it was uh, not so easy to find, so yeah. we st started with uh, originally with ready-made products, but we were also not happy 
with them. So we slowly switched from pure consultancy company also to be a software house. So we currently also develop uh, our software solutions for our customers. Mm -hmm. And your main focus now and uh, always has been, if I remember correctly, is is automotive, right? Or was there a time when you switched gears or switched focus? Uh, it was, uh, we switched to automotive in the year 2000 because uh, Mm -hmm. uh, what was forming us a lot was work crisis. So first crisis, which was uh, Y2K, year 2000. So <laughs> Y2K, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we thought that we will get a lot of new business with Y2K uh, because uh, changing all the systems to be ready for it. Nevertheless, the, all the customers were so afraid from it, so they stopped all the IT projects in in year year 2000, and it was uh, we almost bankrupt at that time. But uh, yeah. we, the decision was uh, also to focus on, on one vertical, and this was automotive, which was quite clever decision from today's point of view. Yeah, and also, I mean, we have a, a quite a global audience, and just to put things in perspective from people uh, or listeners that don't fully appreciate or understand the role that the Czech Republic plays in the automotive sector, please sp spend some time how that's developed, right? Because... Back in the days, it was, for example, mostly German production, Germany production, all the OEMs and all the suppliers were mostly in Germany. But you happened to start at a time where there was a lot of shift going into Eastern Europe as production facilities and a lot of suppliers and so forth set up shop in Eastern European countries. Take us back to the time where maybe that played into your cards, right? Because um, things were really starting to happen uh, in that part of the world. That's right, because uh, many or the new OEMs which came to the to Czech Republic, Slovakia, and Eastern Europe, uh, like uh, Volkswagen with the acquiring mm -hmm. Skoda or uh, Volkswagen in Bratislava, but also Toyota with Toyota Peugeot Citroën in Kolín, Hyundai uh, mm -hmm. PSA in Slovakia, and so on. They push a lot of Tire One, Tire Two suppliers to build in new factories or new manufacturing facilities in Czech, Slovakia. Mm -hmm. And it, by the way, these were our first pile of customers. Yeah. So a lot of investments was done here. The plants, plants were very modern. And this combination of, uh, I think, really good Czech management uh, of the companies. So uh -huh. I, the, this, these plants here in, uh, in Czech, Slovakia, Hungary, they are one of the best plants and uh, globally. Yeah. So. Yeah, uh, it's it was it is a big opportunity. It was a big opportunity for us, and uh, today, for example, we uh, we still start a lot of pilot projects here in in Eastern Europe, which are the pilots for the whole globe. So we do the pilot project and then we roll it out to U.S., Mexico, China, and so on, with together with our customers. Yeah, that would have been my next question, and maybe jump ahead a little bit. But I I would assume that that move to China, since we're talking about Volkswagen, for example, Volkswagen's largest market is China. There's a lot of manufacturing going on. A lot of new manufacturing has started to happen there in the last 15 years or so. Do you feel like the center of gravity, as you described it, where Eastern Europe used to be a, a very big center of gravity for manufacturing for Europe and also globally, but has that shifted to China and to, have you lost some ground or how, how would you describe the sort of regional focus of where stuff is actually being made? I think uh, from our point of view, it uh, remained the same because uh, still manufacturing for European customers was done in Europe. Primarily, mm -hmm. nevertheless, it was opportunity for us because uh, after building the plants in Eastern Europe, so most of the OEMs and also Taiwan, Taiwan suppliers uh, moved the production to Mexico and China. 
So it yeah. was an opportunity for us to, to, to follow our customers to, to these um, markets and regions. Uh, on the other hand, of course, uh, the consumer power in China is so big, so so yeah. it makes a lot of, lot of movements towards China. Yeah. On the other hand, today, with all the disruptions, so there is there are the trends all again to get a uh, lot of production back to Europe. Yeah, and fast forward to today, like in a nutshell, how would you describe what AIMTech does today? If you meet someone for the first time and you explain to someone what your main focus is, what's your elevator pitch of what you guys do in 2023? Uh, so we are we are digitalizing production and logistics as primarily at automotive uh, companies. And uh, our typical customer, we do it from Pilsen, we do it globally for uh, global customers. And our typical customers is, for example, interior producer who is producing, for example, door panels or, or uh, cockpits or headliners. And we start from uh, assembling in sequence, uh, following with uh, steering the production and assembly with all the logistics around. This means production feeding, uh, warehouse management, traceability, uh, communication with suppliers, customers, and so on. So what uh, what typical tier one, tier two suppliers in automotive needs to fulfill manufacturing and uh, logistics processes for the customers? Yeah, and you do that with, with how many people around the world? A couple hundred, 200, 300 people? How many people are you as of uh, today? Today is, uh, is approximately 250 people. 250, okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, still our primary market is uh, Europe. Nevertheless, as I said, we support customers also in US, uh, in China, South Africa, and so on. Does that mean you have local offices around the world or do you do most of the stuff out of your, your headquarter office in Pilsen? We still uh, do it from our headquarter office in Pilsen. Mm-hmm. The reason is simple. Uh, we, for us, it's so important to share the know-how between our people that we still mm-hmm. decided to stay at one location. And uh, on the other hand, today with uh, just-in sequence and manufacturing processes, they are so critical that even the minutes play a role. So we are able to support all the customers uh, worldwide in uh, almost in real time. So in this reaction times, in minutes and so on. And uh, we also optimized our implementation methodologies and uh, we can implement typical site in US or Mexico, for example, within two visits. Yeah. So that's that's uh, we make it very straightforward and very lean. And, and today is, is not real limit for us, the, the location of the customer's location. Yeah, makes sense. And since you're so much focused on one particular industry, on one particular vertical, you know, you are very closely attached to the hip. So if, uh, if the automotive industry is doing well, you, you may be doing well. But if the automotive industry is suffering and going through major change, you have to change alongside. From your perspective, what are the biggest challenges that you see that the industry that you're serving is currently facing? A lot has been said about these major trends, but maybe from your vantage point, with a particular eye on the digital transformation journey of these companies, what what are the biggest things that keep your customers up at night? I I see several questions here within what you 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 (laughs) thought now. And the first one is that, uh, of course, uh, it was a hard decision to focus just on automotive because we also, uh, we are really, believe, good in uh, in logistics and uh, we get a lot of in- inquiries from retail and e- e-commerce and so on. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, nevertheless, uh, we decided uh, because uh, if you want to be the best, so you need to focus today. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and also maybe one... Uh, 
additional information that we started, we are family business and, uh, and yeah. we started uh, also because of uh, sustainability of our business for next generations of our families. So we <laughs> uh, started a new professional supervisory board and uh, we had really tough discussions with the board about if we should focus on just one vertical because it's, uh, it seems really risky. And nevertheless, uh, we persuaded even the board uh, and uh, we really make an agreement internally that uh, this is the right way because uh, we want to get the bigger stake in automotive simply and we want to focus and that, that's uh, when you want to be successful, you sometimes have to take a risk. Yeah, so that's, that was the decision and we focus primarily on the automotive industry. So that was yeah. The, a, a quick for, question there before we move on to more of the challenges of the automotive industry. What just triggered my 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 mind or got me thinking was the fact that you are very much selling to German Mittelstand companies, for example. They, these are one of your major clients, which are all or most of them, many of them are family businesses and Mittelstand. So what you're saying, your company is a family business. Do you see some analogies? Did that make life for you easier or harder? I mean, is there some some connection to the customers that you're selling to? Is there something where your your philosophy and the way you, you think long-term is aligned with the way these folks think? Or am I thinking too much into it? <laughs> I think, uh, or I believe it's it's uh, it's helping us a lot. Mm. Especially during the last, last couple of years, so... Uh, because we were also presenting uh, the further strategy and further the business sustainability to heads of our customers. So I, I had, to, for example, uh, during 2022, and uh, I had a, quite a lot of meetings with CEOs of our customers, mm -hmm. and they were really lucky and impressed that we built the sustainability of our of the family business, and that we investing into the activities like board and and uh, and the holding structures and so on because uh, the customers are really depending on us. They are relying us, on us. We, the, mm. Our applications are really business critical. So the, 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 there are some, uh, some fears at the customers that maybe we can sell the business or that somebody can acquire us and, and there will be no continuity and so on. Mm. So mm -hmm. for them that we build the continuity that we want to keep the company as it is today with the very strong company culture and uh, values and so on, Uh, what the customer feels, so they they are really like lucky about it, about this movement and about this direction that we set up during last years. Uh, so that's that's supporting the business definitely, perfectly. Yeah, which is you know I think that's underestimated this fact because a lot of technology startups, a lot of companies that want to sell you technology solutions, innovative new technology solutions, are venture capital finance. They're they're in it for. A quick growth, quick, uh, you know, customer acquisition, and then moving on to the next thing, going public or getting sold by somebody, which is a different mindset than what I referred to earlier as the German Mittelstand thinking, which is a long-term legacy building, long in it for the long run. And if I understand it properly, you are bootstrapped, right? You're not, you're not relying on venture capital. You're not, <laughs> there's nobody that's expecting a quick return and a 10x in a couple of years, but you are in it for the long run. And I think that would be appreciated by your customers. I think that's undervalued. And that's just another way of describing what you just said, right? Yeah. I think uh, it started like like this that uh, we get a lot of uh, requests from different M&A companies and and also even players on the market that they would like to acquire us. Yeah. So we were, we we start thinking about it. It started like five years ago, and uh, we also talk to these companies, uh, to M&A companies, 
And then we found that uh, what we do, that we like it, that we have a freedom, what we can decide and we can do investment, which will maybe return in five years. So we can make very long term investment into the internal system about digitization of our own deliveries. You don't have to look at the immediate profit. Of course, we need it to, to generate the cash, which, are, which is uh, important for the business. Sure. On yeah. the other hand, we can afford long-term investments, and that's uh, something we like. We also see that we are really important for our employees. So the, the people like the company. They, they are very loyal, and they like the, how the company is running. And we also found that we are very useful for the Pilsen region. We cooperate with universities. We, we are funding different uh, like Alzheimer fund and so on. So, so that's okay, uh, that's uh, something which is really beneficial. And uh, we decided that we want to keep it as it is. Yeah. So that's that was the decision we make uh, within last three years, and uh, and that uh, we are working on it today. And uh, and this helped us also finally to be competitive because we I think we in some things differ from usual IT companies or the usual consultancy companies. Yeah, I also find that very attractive and I find it very important that technology companies are not all congregated and situated in one place, like Silicon Valley, for example, right? Or Berlin or, or uh, let's say London, but there's a wider base with companies in different regions with different backgrounds, different access to their local local ecosystem and so forth. And so far, I hadn't thought of Pilsen as a center of of gravity for, for for tech. But describe to me just a little bit before we go back to the trends in automotive and, and the way you solve some of your customers' issues. But I'd like to understand a little bit more Pilsen. I've never been to Pilsen and I will go to Pilsen sometime this spring because you have an interesting conference coming up uh, that I'll definitely be part of. Uh, but, but describe to me, for example, why did you decide to stick around there? I mean, you could have said, well, you know, it's a lot easier for us to get access to good talent if we have a, a satellite office in Silicon Valley or... Look at all these people that are in Berlin, what have you, or Munich, you name it, right? <laughs> the the possibilities would have been endless, but you made a conscious decision that Pilsen is your center of gravity and your home base. Oh, it's uh, primarily, uh, we have, our business is about the people. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we have a really good university in Pilsen and also the high schools. So we cooperate with them. So we, we have access to really good people. You know, it's critical today. And mm-hmm. we have, we built a really very good employer brand here, so it's not easy, but we can still get a new pe- new people on board, which is really important. The mm-hmm. other factor is that we have the, as we mentioned in, in the beginning, we have the automotive facilities here, so which yeah. be the pilots, and uh, we are near to Germany, so we have like 40 minutes drive, and on and we are direction to Nuremberg, and uh, that's that's it. And of course, we have also really good beer here. <laughs> yes, you do, for sure. And I'll try some of that, I promise. <laughs> okay, let's go back to some of your the challenges and maybe you could summarize what the main issues are for the automotive sector that they're struggling with, where you come in to help them on their journey. I think uh, this is a really tough time for the automotive uh, suppliers today because uh, a lot of uh, the, this polycrisis we have today, which are coming from, uh, they have political background, they have they have technological background, like electromobility and so on. There is also, there are significant switches in population, so it's not easy to get employees, new employees and so on. 
So it's really tough and very hard market today for these suppliers. On the other hand, uh, they have the typical mid-sized companies. They have uh, just a few people in IT and for digitalization. So they have like 10 or 15, 20 people in the corporate IT team. Mm -hmm. So they have to be very focused. And we help these customers to really find the right way how to digitize the business. That's uh, mm -hmm. really crucial. And it's not only about the technologies, it's about how to build the internal teams, how to build the digital competence, how to implement agile approaches to decision-making, because you can do a lot of things in digitalization, but you have to focus, you have to be very flexible. Right. And what we are helping to the customers is to be more flexible, to be globally, to be more, mm -hmm. on the other hand, more standardized, which means managing the costs, and to be, what I mentioned, to be agile and flexible. Yeah? So to, to be able to react very flexibly to the changes. And the uh, final benefit is that uh, the customers are becoming then more resilient. Yeah? So this means to more resilience towards all these crises and uh, they will stay competitive and they'll be able to stay on the market and to even get more from the market. Yeah, you're checking a lot of boxes there. Um, what, what is your typical approach? You mentioned earlier, and it's, it's worth pointing it out again, that you're not just a consulting company, but you also have software, but you're neither a software company, not a consulting company. You're somewhat a hybrid in between, right? And why is that important? Why we are a software company? It's, again, historical because uh, we were looking for some really good, uh, for example, warehouse management system in 22 years ago. And it was, for example, at the beginning when SAP was introducing handling and management. And we mm -hmm. were fighting with the accuracy of the inventory, for example, at typical automotive suppliers, because this is repetitive. So you move many, many of similar boxes, these blue Calty boxes or whatever. Uh, we were looking for this and then we decided to starting uh, developing our own software solution. And mm -hmm. uh, that's something which is giving us advantage that, uh, and why we are mixed, because we, we are near to the customer. We believe we understand the real customer needs and uh, we have the software development very near to this, to the customer. So uh, we can prepare the solutions which are really so flexible and so reliable and so, so deployable uh, at the corporate customers that uh, we can bring the ability to the customer that they are competitive finally. Yeah. So our software is, uh, I'll call it category MOM, Manufacturing Operation Management, mm -hmm. which is mix uh, what I already mentioned in the beginning. So it's mix of uh, just-in sequence, it's mix uh, with uh, MES, with uh, WMS and warehouse control systems. And all these today fully integrated to all the surrounding world. This means to ERPs like SAP or QAD and other packages on one side, and on the other side, uh, fully integrated with all the technologies you have on the shop floor or in the warehouses. So this means connection to the assembly lines, to molding machines, all this stuff, and also connection to fully automated warehouses like, like SRS, uh, vertical storages, Uh, AMRs, uh, conveyors, and all these technologies. And we take care about balancing and uh, fluent flow of all the inventory across these different technologies. So that's our main goal and what we help the customers to do. And of course, 
your question was how we start this or how we what we do with the customer so we really usually look for the pilot project with them mm-hmm. and uh, usually the best door opener honestly is production planning yeah so advanced planning, planning and scheduling mm-hmm. which is actually some sherry on the cake because uh, to do the r- real good advanced planning and scheduling you need a lot of data reliable data right. and mm-hmm. that starting from the master data you need to have really high quality of uh, bill of materials routings and so on on your system and you need to have high quality of operational data so to have the status of, of inventory open orders working process information about available resources and so on so usually when we start discussion about advanced planning and scheduling we find with the customers that there, there is needed improvement in for example warehouse management or or MES to get the proper data. So it, it initiates the other projects on the shop floor to make the data ready. And after that, we are able to finally implement the, the advanced planning and scheduling because really this is something I believe that like 10% of all the companies are really able to do today to do the real production planning focused on real constraints, which is real solving the queue of the orders on specific workplaces and so on. Yeah, I would assume that a lot of your customers are SAP customers and you have a situation where they come in and they just bundle stuff, right? They would just have a solution for everything and they're making the case that, well, you want to stick with SAP modules for everything. How do you compete with that? And what, what argument do you make that you need to switch out your advanced planning and scheduling module for something from AIMTAPE, for example? What's, what's, the best, <laughs> what's the best case for that? What I forgot to mention that we have also SAP team on board. Yes, yeah, so, yeah I, I saw that too. So that, that complicates things yeah. <laughs> also. <laughs> yeah, so the, our biggest strengths are that we have really experienced SAP consultants and developers on, on board. So we can really seamlessly integrate to SAP. And uh, we also develop our own add-ons directly in SAP environment so so like for warehouse management production control and so on so we we developed this uh, also for our customers and mm-hmm. honestly there are two kinds of customers some of the customers are very sap centric and they want to have the solution within sap so that we offer this uh, on sap side also so we we have this okay. add-ons also mm-hmm. on sap we we utilize our know-how of logistics production feeding kanban heijunka all this stuff And then we have customers which uh, would like to keep the SAP very basic because of the standardization Mm -hmm. globally, especially the Mm -hmm. very big suppliers Mm -hmm. and uh, like harnesses suppliers or others. And they uh, want to have the specialties outside of SAP in uh, WMS, uh, MES and so on. And we have customers who has the mix. So they, for example, have a warehouse management from us in, directly in SAP and uh, MES and traceability outside of SAP because of the flexibility. I can imagine that that becomes complex very, very quickly. Are there upsides to being a customer for your entire suite of products? I mean, is there is a sort of synergies between using all of your models or are you clearly offering like a pick and choose, like a menu where I, I pick this and there's no disadvantage if I don't use the other module, for example. Talk to me about the way you are offering is set up, how it fits together, and what the benefits of choosing individual parts are versus going for the entire suite. I think it's very simple because uh, usually the customer has some specific pain. The customer has a priority, either issue in logistic or with request from OEM for traceability for safety critical part or 
I don't know, start a new sequencing project, uh, very complex with assembly to sequence also. So we usually start with this small uh, pilot project mm-hmm. and we are highly motivated to make it successful. Yeah? So to make it on time, on budget and to, to make the customer happy because we can grow at the customer in two dimensions. One is the globally, so to do the rollout, not only at one location, but do the rollout to another 15, 20 locations. And second is to do the cross-selling. So this means that to, to switch from assembly sequence to traceability, to MES, to get the right data, to pick by light systems, to manage the log- logistic flow and so on. Yeah. So usually uh, at the end, uh, we have a story from one of the US-based company where the corporate IT manager was telling on the really board level, who the hell is Aimtech? <laughs> Be- sure, because yeah. he recognized that we are so present at the, at the different locations with different areas. So that's the way we do. And so, so that keeps us extremely motivated to bring the ability to digitalization ability successfully to the customer and to make successful project because then the, there are no limits for growing it inside one customer. Yeah, it seems to me like you really do have the finger on the pulse of what the need of your customers are. But how far does it actually extend? I mean, do you actually develop custom-made solutions with your customers? I mean, do you, for example, work together to expand your capabilities, for example, based on your needs? Or is it more the other way around that you're developing solutions and then trying to sort of place it somewhere in the market? Talk to me about that approach there. Our approach is very straightforward and simple. We try to productize everything. So we try to develop and we do our best to develop as standard products as possible. On the other hand, so configurable or when you imagine Lego, yeah, so that you can build from the small boxes uh, or small components a big solution which is really flexible and adjusted to the customer needs. Yeah, And that's something we are, I believe, really good on it is that we support our customers globally with the standardization. So we try to support to make as many processes as possible standard. So you can do the rollout globally. On the other hand, we want to support the customer with maximum flexibility because on each location globally, you have some specifics which are giving competitive advantage to this location and you need to support it. Yeah. So that's, I think, fight of every corporate IT measure or corporate production measure, logistic measure, SAP measure is the conflict between standardization and flexibility. And I believe we have a solution for it. And it's not only about how the software is designed, but it's about how we digitize our own delivery, how we prepare the templates. We have, for example, developed our own application based on Microsoft CRM where we have mm-hmm. so-called process breakdown structures, so we can break down the delivery to hundreds of delivered processes, and we can monitor the status of each process if it was defined, set up, tested, the, it was done integration test, we can assign the remarks to this process and so on. So we can really properly control each process, and we can say, okay, now we have 70% of grid business critical processes ready for going live. So mm-hmm. we can do very proper reporting to the customer and so on. And uh, when you put all this together with know-how of our people, which I mentioned at the beginning that uh, we keep very strong company culture and uh, mm-hmm. we have very good atmosphere and we believe into values. And so that's something that we can retain people for a long time. So we have people who are working with 
AIMTEC for 15 years and more, very senior people. So they have excellent know-how, excellent know-how of the branch, excellent know-how of our products and excellent know-how of the tools we use for the delivery. So when you put all this together, so we can do the projects very efficiently and we can really significantly ship the customer. And the other thing which is important, which I believe is a differentiator when you compare to other consultancy companies, we try to deliver minimum services. Even we have a big added value at the projects. So we try to make a good ratio between subscription or licenses sold and services. And we motivate the customer to build internal teams and to take over the responsibility for further maintenance and setup of the application. And we support the customer with building the internal competence centers and to do the allows by themselves and to do just very advanced new projects with us. And that's uh, our strategy. So to deliver maximum projects with uh, limited resources, because what you mentioned at the beginning, we want to grow just organically. That's for, mm-hmm. for us, the biggest limitation is building our internal capacities to build a new people, to build the know-how which is extremely critical for the projects. So we can grow like 10 to 50% in the headcount mm-hmm. on an annual basis. Yeah. So that's what is limiting us. And when we want to satisfy more customers, we need to do it more efficiently with less mandates. So that's the strategy we have now. Yeah, which is very refreshing because there's also this other business model where your entire business model is to keep your customers perpetually dependent on your consultants and to make it work, right? Which is the exact opposite of what you just described, where you as quickly as possible want to make the customer self-sustaining and they could take care of their own business as opposed to artificially inflating the need to have your consultants perpetually on for the rest of time, so to speak. I think this is one of the messages we are bringing to the customers that we believe that the customers are then more competitive because yeah. definitely with your internal teams, you have still bigger flexibility. You have control over your internal people. You can decide what they will be working on. When we are on several projects, we still, when there is something extra, something new you need to do now, which is today normal. So it's new standard, so it has to be ready now. So we have to then postpone some other projects and so on, but internal is much more easier. So we support the customers really to build the internal digital competence. And also the strategy towards the customer is to build the internal teams to persuade the top management that it should be part of the company culture, the digitization, because mm-hmm. it's not about IT managers, it's about logistic manager, about HR managers, about production managers who has to be digitally competent. They, have the, right. they need to have the know-how, they need to understand how to use the technologies. And IT is just giving the support to it. Yeah. So that's that's one of the important things. And second trend is today that uh, is moving to the cloud, but not, of course, just b- because of recurring revenues, but because th- this is really crucial again today that the IT people are not focusing on preparing servers or infrastructure and taking care for security. This could be simply outsourced today and uh, they can focus to be partners for the business to, to introduce this new technology. So to find how to prepare proper reporting, the BI reports or how to use machine learning and so on to make the business more competitive. I think this is the main role of the IT to be supporting business and to do the translation between IT and business. Yeah, cloud is an important keyword here because well, when you were started in 1996, there was no cloud, right? So you naturally would have started with anything that you've developed as a license and install on your own service type of model. And you had to go through the transition to the cloud. 
where are you on that journey? Or another question, where are your customers on that journey? I mean, you still get a specific request for license and install versus cloud. I mean, are people still making a conscious decision against the cloud in 2023? Uh, yes, <laughs> it is, it is yeah. still... Uh, well, that was a rhetorical question. I knew that you were going to answer this, but I, I still wanted to put it out there. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, there is still, I would say, some resilience against the cloud that uh, the customers, especially with the business-critical applications, they would like to have it under control and to have it locally on-site and, and so on. On the other hand, we still selling more and more new projects in the cloud today. And mm -hmm. it's simple because there is so much development in the technologies today and there are the security issues, cybersecurity and so on. And uh, as I mentioned, that typical mid-sized company has like 10, 15, 20 people in the corporate IT team, and they simply cannot manage everything today. It's not possible. So, so I think you can uh, deliver bigger, bigger response times. Uh, you can scale the applications in the cloud. You can use much faster deployment. For example, we had an accident at one of our retail customers, <laughs> by the way, uh, a <laughs> couple of months ago, and they had a trouble with their servers and we were able to switch it to our cloud within two hours. Wow, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so they were happy they had a good backup, so we were able to restore it very fast. And that's it. That's giving the flexibility because especially at corporate customers, when you want to start a new projects, for example, so you, you, you wait a couple, three, four months for getting just the access to the infrastructure. With the cloud, yeah. you can make it like this. You just snap your fingers and you can start immediately. You have deployment of all the processes, all the templates and so on. So we can start the project within days. Yeah. So that's one of the examples where the cloud is much flexible. Yeah, you seem to be a proponent of cloud-based systems, rightfully so. But uh, you know, if you had to sort of play devil's advocate for a second, are there good cases where you would honestly say, you know what, given these circumstances, I would not have this application or this use case, whatever, run in the cloud, but here's a use case where you, you're better off doing something, license and installing your old servers. Or are we past those times? Are there no good use cases where that makes any sense at I all? think if there is a really extremely complex environment, I would still be careful to moving it to the cloud just now. Yeah, Because uh, five years ago, we have most of the installations on-premise with the customers. Mm -hmm. And uh, this decision to move to the cloud, we really redesigned the applications. We work on the containerization using Kubernetes and all these technologies to get the bigger flexibility and also scalability and to, to have the right performance in the cloud environment. And uh, this sort of new things like uh, when you want to print from the cloud is different. You, the, the very simple things you imagine is hundreds of different topics there. Yeah? So you have to resolve and... Uh, the deployment is something you have to do very carefully. I, I told that we are in business-critical applications. And today, the medium complexity projects uh, we can very simply implement in cloud. The projects which have very huge complexity is still possible, but uh, we have to take care about all the risk management and so on, and to be very careful with testing, proper testing and so on before going live. Yeah. So sometimes when you have a lot of technology attached, like many machines, many technologies, uh, IoT things and so on, so then you have to be careful. But I think it's a question of single years to say that everything will be in the cloud. Yeah. So I, I am very optimistic with cloud. 
Yeah, I'm too. But I also appreciate, um, you know, a very healthy approach to just the customer's need, right? There, there could be edge cases, use cases where it still makes sense to start one way, but to have a path towards something that's next gen, so to speak, and not be too idealistic about it and just be agnostic to the technology that you're using. You're looking at the customer's problem and based on that problem, you're offering a solution. And sometimes it could be a technology in quotation mark from the past for a while until you transition to something new, which is healthier than always recommended the newest next big thing, so to speak. Yeah. And of course, we are also relying on our partners. So we cooperate with AWS, with Amazon, okay. mm -hmm. where we yep. can have to centers in different time zones and to have the security and availability. Yep. And really, I can, since we have all the applications there, so we have no real issues. And the second thing is that we are learning more and more, and there are also mixed projects now. We have customers which are also in aerospace, and also some of our automotive customers, they have defense, for example, applications, and, and so there are special security requirements. So sometimes we also implement in the customer cloud. So there is a okay. mixture also. So, and we recognize today that we are also able to provide know-how to these customers because today after running our cloud operations for uh, several years at Amazon, so we have so, so huge and deep experience with running all, all different technologies in cloud that uh, we can even uh, support our customers with this know-how. Yeah. Any other technologies that we haven't talked about so far that you're excited about, that you consider cutting edge and promising for the years to come? Something that you're experimenting with that you're really excited about? Of course, everybody is speaking uh, about chat GPT and so on. Uh -huh. uh, <laughs> honestly, I don't know what it will bring. I, we need to keep our eyes open on it. But I think generally it's, uh, of course, artificial intelligence and uh, machine learning, which will come definitely. As I told, we are not same tech. We are not early adopters. It's role of the big players like like Accenture or IBM and others, which work together with OEMs like BMW or Daimler or Toyota. And these are companies which have totally different budgets and and investments into this area, and they can really use these technologies. We are, I would say proven technology partner for mid-sized customers. Yeah. So we bring the, the proven technologies and we bring it. So today we are in the status that we run very interesting projects on the BI level to do the proper visualization and to provide a real decision-making base for the managers, because I think the people are still important. On the other hand, I believe it's a pass to the machine learning because uh, to be good at machine learning, you need to understand the data. You need to understand what you need from the data. And I believe that the good BI projects are the right way to, to understand the data and to build the resources, to build the internal competencies and so on, to be able to define the task for the artificial intelligence, because this is the, the definition. And the, and you know that the, these roles of the people who are, again, dolmetcher or translator from business to technology, these are the most important people today for IT. Yeah, I mean, I find that refreshing too. You don't always have to be the cheerleader for the newest, newest thing, right? You don't always have to be early adopter on anything. There also needs to be a partner, a trusted partner that accompanies you on the way of deciding which of the new technologies are ready to be implemented. You don't have to jump on the news train on everything. So that's quite refreshing, which doesn't prevent you from talking about good things and technology that's coming down the pike. And one good way to talk about that is at the Tile Conference. I mentioned it briefly 
at the outset of our conversation. I'm very much looking forward to joining the conference this year. I've heard a lot about it, but I've never attended. So maybe spend a couple of minutes to describe what am I looking forward to when I'm coming to Pilsen in May. Yeah, <laughs> we'll have 23rd year with this conference. <laughs> Wow. And mm -hmm. so it's a really traditional event here in Czech Republic, but uh, it's not only for Czech Republic because we do it uh, for five years now together with uh, IHK Regensburg and okay. with mm -hmm. DTE IHK, Deutsch-Czechische Industrie Handelskammer, mm -hmm. together as a Czech Bavarian or Czech German event. So nice. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so it's really international. It's run in English, German, Czech, of course. And mm -hmm. we'll have really good speakers there, excellent speakers. And this will be focused again to, we want to bring the highest value to the attendees and the great emotions. It's called trends. So it will bring the trends as you are asking about the, what happens today. So people like uh, Mr. Cameron or Klaus Straub, uh, who is the ex-CIO of BMW. Yeah, so known figures. They'll, yeah. <laughs> they'll speak <laughs> about The trends today, how the IT and uh, digitalization is supporting the changes on the market. Also, it will be about what are the really challenges of the mar on the market today. But there will be also topics like sustainability. And uh, we expect like more than 300 people there uh, from Czech, Germany. We will have colleagues from Baden-Württemberg. Uh, they'll come mm -hmm. people from uh, IHK, Reutlingen. Uh, they'll come people from Bayern Innovative and a lot of others. So I, I am really looking forward to this event. Awesome. Yeah, I've actually indeed have heard much about it. It popped up on my radar, but I, I just felt like a really late adopter when you said it's been the 23rd time or 23 times it's been on and it's only my, my first time. So yeah, <laughs> bad on yeah, me. Maybe... <laughs> maybe <laughs> You can ask your friend and colleague Marco Pligromayer, who was uh, one of the keynotes uh, in the last years, and he's returning to our event every year now. So the, the, he knows That's it right. very well, and and you introduce new trends and to our customers and generally to automotive experts. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I'll leave a link in the show notes. If people are interested, they can sign up there, and uh, hopefully we'll all meet in Pilsen in May. Roman, thank you very much for the interesting conversation today. I very much appreciated your our conversation that's continued on in Pils and thanks for being on the program. Yeah, it was a pleasure talking to you and uh, I enjoyed it. Thank you. Until next time. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. That was the Logistics Drive podcast episode with Roman Zach from AIMTech. If you're interested in joining the Trends in Automotive Logistics Conference in Pilsen in May, you will find a link to it in the show notes. If you intend the event, drop me a note so we can meet up there. Hope to see you there. That's it for today. I'm Boris Felgendreher. Until next time.